People said, Vicki, thank you so much. We love you and we are so proud to be able to sit and to worship with you today in that way. Uh, thank you to Philip Keltner for leading us in worship. It is a great day to be a part of First Baptist Church. Somebody say amen. Uh, several things I want to tell you before we get into the message today. First of all, tonight I want to invite you to a special movement happening in our community and growing from our community called Taking America Back to God. Tonight we're going to be at the Lone Star Cowboy Church, uh, 6 p.m. out on Highway 22. I invite you to join us there. Um, we believe that the foundation of God's Word is the only hope for the United States of America, and I pray that you'll come and join us there. Also, I'd like to announce last Sunday uh, we talked about Good News Corsicana and our local missions effort, and I share with you about the Good News Cupboard. Ladies and gentlemen, the Good News Cupboard has been launched this week. It sets out on the other side of the Family Life Center. Uh, you may have seen it setting out there. Some of you love to park in that nice little spot next to the Circle Drive. It's no longer available for you to park there because the Good News Cupboard is established. Leave what you can, take what you need. It's going to be a place where homeless or hungry people can know the love of Christ as we share food with them. And then finally, when you came in today, you received three pieces of paper, or you should have, and one of those is a reminder that our church stands with children. Um, it's Child Abuse Prevention Month, and obviously we as God's people uh, believe in the protection of children and discipline of children that's appropriate and right for them. And so I just want to call attention to that today to remind you that we as a church are participating in that. Uh, to begin the message today, I want to talk to you about Evangelist Jay Strack. Um, during his ministry, Evangelist Strack made his way to the Holy Land about nine times. And on each of those visits, he always asked for and received the same exact Bedouin tour guide. And on each tour, he chose that same person because he wanted to witness to that person again and again about his faith in Jesus. And the last time that he was visiting with him, he explained um, that the Bedouin guide asked him, why is it that you're always sharing with me about Jesus? And, and Jay Strack wasn't familiar with the phrase that the man used, and here's what he said. He said, I understand, I guess, that you don't want to commit the sin of the desert. Well, Jay Strack wasn't familiar with that very phrase, and so he explained it this way. He said, sir, to the Bedouins, to the nomadic people, the ultimate sin is the sin of the desert, knowing where water is but refusing to tell others of its location. Well, today, church, if we could use that term this morning, we could say that the sin of the desert may well be the greatest sin in churches today. And the reason I'm saying that is because you and I are well aware that we are living in a world that seems to be a wasteland of spiritual dryness, a wasteland of spiritual despair. And we as Christians know where the water is, we know where the water can be found, and if we choose not to tell others, friend, that's the greatest sin of all sins. And that means that telling others about Jesus, evangelism, it is a requirement for God's people. It's not optional for me and you. It's not optional for us as the church. It should be our obsession. It must be our obligation. 
It is the responsibility of First Baptist Church, Corsicana. Somebody please say amen. And so with Mission Fest, as Greg shared with you earlier, our second week of Mission Fest, as it pushes forward and we're reminded of missions today, I want to ask several questions. And I think these are key questions for us as we talk about being a mission-minded and Acts 1-8 church. And here's the questions. How do we really do missions effectively? How do we evangelize effectively? How do we really reach people for Jesus Christ? How can we be successful in bringing in the harvest for our Lord? Well, when you think about that, and you think about the secret of evangelism, obviously we need to study the master evangelist, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to go to the passage found in John chapter 4, and you're welcome to go ahead and begin to turn in your Bible to that passage. If you failed to bring a copy of God's Word, Philip has done a great job of connecting you to that little pew pocket. There's also a Bible in there next to that Baptist hymnal. Uh, So we hope that you'll take that and read. But I want to tell you part of the story, and then we're going to pick it up in verse 29. This is the classic story that we call the woman at the well. And the story basically prefaces this way, that Jesus departs out of Judea on his way to Galilee. That was a northern journey. And to get from Judea to Galilee, he had to pass through a region known as Samaria. Now, Samaria obviously was filled with Samaritan people. Now, good Jews would not go through there because the Samaritans were a despised race. To put it very bluntly today, they were half-breeds. They were an intermarried relationship. The children produced from an intermarriage relationship between Jews and Gentiles. And because of that, they were a despised people, yet Jesus chooses the straightest path, and it leads him to a city in Samaria called Sychar. Now, in Sychar was that classic place that we know as Jacob's Well. And he goes to the well there, and as he sets and rests and drinks some water, a woman from that town comes to the well to draw water herself. Well, Jesus engages her in conversation. Folks, that was unthinkable. A man was not supposed to be talking to a woman in such a way and then add to it a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. And yet Jesus did this. He begins to talk to her about water that would quench physical thirst. But then the conversation proceeds to living water that would quench spiritual thirst. And through a number of different things, he reveals to her and she recognizes that he indeed was the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. The disciples who had gone into town for some supplies come back and they find Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman. They thought it was unthinkable. But she leaves in a hurry to go tell her whole village that the Messiah is setting down at the well And that's where we pick up the story. John chapter 4, verse 29. Would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning? It is part of our custom here at First Baptist, and I love that we do that. John chapter 4, verse 29. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did, she said. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. 
But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me, she said... Everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. May God bless the reading of his word today. May God speak to our hearts as we study this passage. You may be seated. Now, church family, this whole experience of what Jesus said and what Jesus did reveals the secret to the questions I just asked. What's the secret to a great harvest anywhere and any time. And I think several things leap out to us today, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you what the three points of this message are. That we must see the masses, we must seize the moment, and we must share the message. Let's start off with we must see the masses. I find that in verse 35. When the disciples return to Christ, Jesus says, open your eyes and look. Now, why does Jesus say that? Because apparently the disciples hadn't been looking. They had been to town to buy food, but they had not witnessed to a single person. The disciples had missed an evangelistic opportunity, but why had they missed it? Well, the answer, I believe, is very clear. Two reasons, preoccupation and prejudice. Let's start off with preoccupation. When those disciples first went into town, they were preoccupied with their own needs so much that they didn't see the need of anyone else. They had been so interested in getting physical bread, they had forgot to share the bread of life. They missed it because of preoccupation, but they also missed it because of prejudice. Now, let's go back to what I said earlier. The Samaritans were a despised people. The Jews despised the Samaritans. The Samaritans were not their kind of people. They were a different race, a different religion, a different culture. And these Jewish men, they never even considered that a whole city was ready to receive Christ. Now, before we're too hard on them, I want to confess that we're in danger of doing these same two things every day. You see, preoccupation is your and my greatest danger. We can become so wrapped up in making a living, so wrapped up in running a business, 
so wrapped up in raising a family, so wrapped up in building a home, so wrapped up in planning a vacation, so wrapped up even in pastoring a church that we can crowd out the eternal things of our life. We can so focus on the physical that we forget the spiritual. Now, a prime example of this comes from one of my college roommates. I love this man. And I enjoyed the time that I spent with him. We got to be roommates at college for one year, and and he was once a faithful witness and missionary. I saw him, though, several years ago, and I asked him about his ministry now. And he said, Danny, I'm entangled. He said, my family and my job keep keep me from the ministry that I used to have. You see, my former roommate got entangled in what? the thorns of life. He got preoccupied. And I want to stand here today to say to you that I warn you against preoccupation. But I also have to warn you about the other, and that's prejudice. You see, these disciples were so blinded by their prejudice toward the Samaritans that they never saw the opportunity that God was giving them. Uh, There's a story about Larry McSwain, formerly the provost of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and here's what he said. He said, we Baptists are missing the folks who are smarter and richer than we are and who are dumber and poorer than we are. And I want to add to what he said. I think we're also missing those who are just really different than us. But Jesus tells us we're not supposed to miss anyone. Let's go back to what we talked about last Sunday. The Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of whom? All nations. All nations. Do you know what the Greek word translated nations actually is? It's the word ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnic. It literally means every race, every tribe, every culture, every Continent. It's time for us to see the masses, you understand. It's time for us to have the same focus and passion of Mahatma Gandhi, the passion of his life, and I quote, he said, is the last, the least, the lowest, and the lost. Church, it's time for us to go after everybody. We must seek to win all people for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. See the masses. Next, we have to seize the moment. Verse 35 again. Christ's words, do not say four months more than the harvest. I say the fields are already ripe for harvest. Now, what Jesus is talking about here is very familiar to all of you who are ag people. And I know here in Navarro County that we have a number of those folks Because Jesus is talking about the fact that a harvest is seasonal. The harvest soon passes. That time time comes and goes. But Jesus knew that crops go through three stages. Green, ripe, and rotten. Right? And he knew that the harvest is effective only at that one stage. But Jesus wasn't really talking about the harvest of plants, was he? He was talking about the harvest of souls, the harvest of people. He was saying that when the spiritual harvest is ready to be gathered in, we have to be ready to act. Urgency is essential to our mission. I want to take you to one of my favorite movies. Shown back in 1989... 
the Dead Poets Society. If you've seen Dead Poets Society, you know it's a movie starring Robin Williams. He plays the part of a teacher named John Keating. And in Keating's first class at this very upscale school, he takes his students into this hall of trophy cases. And he shows them the pictures of all these heroes from the past history of the school. And he tells them, all these men were as you are today. They were starting life with great promise. And all of you someday will be where they are. They're all dead, and so will you be. He said, what do you think they would say to you? And then he tells the boys to come closer to the glass, to press in close, and lean in to listen. And then in this whispery, raspy voice, he says this, Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Seize the day. I submit to you this morning that Robin Williams' words to those boys in the Dead Poets Society are so pertinent to the people of God that we cannot wait any longer. We have to seize the day, don't we? We have to seize the moment that God is giving to us. You see, every indication in the world today is that they are ready to hear the gospel. They need the gospel. People are hungry to be fed the living bread. People are thirsty to taste the living water. And yet too many churches are playing hide and seek in the county seat. They're not doing anything in relation to evangelism. And I want to tell you, FBC Corsicana is committed to not being that church. We're designed to shine like a beacon on a hill for the world to see. We want people to know Jesus. We need people to know Jesus. This morning, we need to be reminded that any church that is not seeking the lost is lost. Let me say that again. Any church not seeking the lost is lost. It's the only purpose for which we should exist. As fire is to burning, so evangelism is to the people of God. We cannot exist without it. It's time for us to see the masses. It's time for us to seize the moment because, friends, the fields are ripe unto harvest. Somebody say amen. See the masses. Seize the moment. Share the message. We have to share the message. I love the end result of this entire experience. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans of that town believed in Jesus. What does it say? Because of the woman's testimony. And many more believed because of his words. Now, here's the emphasis I want to make. Don't miss the power of words. Her words, Jesus' words, human words, divine words, the words of a witness, the words of God. Sooner or later, folks, all evangelism comes down to words. 
Somebody has to say it. Somebody has to tell what God has done. Somebody has to say what they've experienced. Sharing words is the secret to a great harvest. People ask me even this week, Pastor, what should I do? To lead somebody to Christ, the answer is tell them the gospel. Share words. And as simple as that sounds, that's our basic problem. We're not ready or we're not willing to speak the words for Jesus. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say, well, the best way I can be a witness is to just live my faith. And yes, sometimes action speaks louder, speaks louder than words. But folks, it takes more than actions. Someone has to have the guts to bear witness. Someone has to speak the words for our Savior Jesus. Keith Parks was a grand name in Baptist life. He was deeply connected to the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. You might remember he formerly served as the president of the Foreign Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And here's what he said. He said, as far as I know, we are never told in the scriptures that we should prepare the hearts of the people. That's God's business. We are told to busy ourselves at sowing and reaping, and that involves telling others. Now, Keith Parks is absolutely right. So now the hard question, have you told others? Are you telling others? Have you spoken the message of Jesus to a lost person? Have you even tried to tell one person about where you found living water? It's time for us to see the people, to see the moment to seize the moment, to share the message. This weekend has been a wonderful weekend for our community. And I hope you got to enjoy the Texas Veterans Parade yesterday. I went to an incredible event Friday evening, a Medal of Honor ceremony. And I'm so proud of our community and honoring veterans. And if you're a veteran of the United States, I want you to know your pastor appreciates what you have done for me. So I take you to one of the high moments in American history to close this message. June 6, 1944. Not just a crucial moment in American history, one of the most defining moments in world history. The high command of the Allied forces under the Supreme Commander Dwight David Eisenhower was gathered in Portsmouth, England. And they were poised for what was known as Operation Overlord, the cross-channel attack from England into France. It was going to be called D-Day, the invasion of Normandy. The United States and Great Britain and Canada had assembled the largest amphibious assault force in history. And it's hard to, to really gather and grasp these numbers. It involved three million men 5,000 large ships, 4,000 small landing craft, and more than 11,000 aircraft. It was the greatest invasion fleet ever in history. And if successful, it would mark the beginning of the end of World War II. That invasion was set for June the 5th, but bad weather had caused that launch to be delayed, as we know, 24 hours 
So now as General Eisenhower met with the chiefs of staff, all eyes earned to him, a turn to a man named J.M. Stagg. He was the chief meteorologist of the operation. And General Eisenhower, history tells us, says these words, Mr. Stagg, could you give us an update on the weather? And Mr. Stagg replied, a fresh weather front could provide hope of improved conditions tomorrow. We will have a corridor of about 36 hours where the ceiling will be 3,000 feet. If we wait beyond that, it might be at least a month before the weather will allow us to go. And General Eisenhower turned to each of his commanders and he asked them how they felt. But he knew that the decision was his. So after listening, he said in silence, they say, for about 30, maybe 40 seconds. And then he raised his head, he looked at his fellow commanders, and he said the consequences of delay justify great risk. He said, we go. We go. Folks, our decisions as Christians to go affects more than the outcome of a war in time. It affects the souls of people for all eternity. You see, we're not sowing and reaping for tomorrow. We're sowing and reaping for everlasting life. 